All right, as Lynn mentioned earlier, there will be a potluck following service. And uh, yeah, praise God for that. So we can keep up. Even saw a bag of Funyuns back there, which I'm excited to tear into here in just a little bit. So we'll be able to keep the fellowship and greeting going during that time. Again, if, you, uh, if you're new here and didn't bring something to share, that's totally fine. We just want you to stay and enjoy the meal and the time together. So um, as a church, my name is Doug, and I'm the campus pastor here at East, and it's a joy to be able to be with you this morning, be able to, to worship our risen Lord and Savior together, and to be able to look at His Word um, this morning. As a church, we have been walking through the book of Acts, and we are almost finished with the book of Acts. And so... This week, we're looking at Acts chapter 27. Next week, uh, Brother Pastor Wade is going to come up and preach uh, from Acts 28 to close the series up. So it's been an awesome just journey through this book together. I really hope that you've enjoyed it. Um, So if you have your Bibles, you can take them out and open up to 27. The words will be on the screen. There are some some Bibles ahead of, uh, in the seat backs in front of you. You can borrow those as well. But, you know, um, growing up, I, I was born and raised in Dubuque, not too far from here. And uh, our family did not spend much time on the water. I don't know. There are some, some families who just like live on the water. That was not ours, okay? We lived in the cornfields, okay, for the most part. Um, didn't, didn't spend a lot of time on the water, not at all. And really, it wasn't until um, I got married to my beautiful wife, Natalie, and uh, she's from Belize. And uh, it was just sort of by default, like marrying somebody from Belize, I just had to be sort of well acquainted, become well acquainted with the water. And so... Um, over time, just lots of time on, on boats, lots of time when we go there with our family, our kids just love playing on the beach in the ocean, and I've really grown in appreciation for uh, just spending time around water. But during this time, there, there would be times when we go out on boats, and if I just sort of stop and think, again, not you know, growing up in this sort of environment, sort of what I'm doing. I can think of times we've gone fishing and you get on this little boat and you go far off of land and pretty soon you, you, you no longer see land. I don't know if you've been out on a boat in the ocean, but you no longer see land. It's far away and you look down and the, the water's clear, but it just keeps going. Um, you pull up you know, fishing, you pull up creatures that you've never seen before. You're like, what in the world is this? Uh, if, if I think too much when I'm out there on a boat, my mind can start to play some tricks on me. It can start to make me realize, okay, this is where you're at and this is what you're doing and what happens if you get sick? What happens if there's an emergency situation? And I can find myself start to sort of inwardly freak out. (laughs) I can get scared easily. What if I think to myself, I'm out here on this boat and we get caught in a storm? What if that happens? If I think too much about it, I can get scared. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a passage that is a story about people who are on a boat in the midst of a storm. We're looking at Acts chapter 27. Now, last week, as we looked at Acts chapter 26, we finished up that passage and we saw Paul making a defense, not just for himself, but really for all of Christianity, standing in front of King Agrippa II. Our focus last week, as it should be, as it was for Paul, was on the resurrection of Jesus. Now, you'll notice that we didn't spend a lot of time, we just focused on verses 1 through 23, if you followed us last week. We didn't spend a lot of time looking at sort of the response from Paul's audience and You know, essentially what they didn't happen is all become converted as he gave a defense for Christianity. In fact, they thought Paul 
was crazy. They called him as a much. Paul, are you out of your mind? Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And Paul, if you keep reading through chapter 26, unapologetically attempts to convert everybody that's listening to him to no surprise for us. Well, as chapter 27 begins, this is a longer passage in the book of Acts, and it tells us essentially of the journey, a really important piece of this story. It tells us of Paul's journey from Caesarea all the way to Italy. And it is, make no mistake about it, an absolutely thrilling story. And so I'm gonna read it in its entirety. Like I said, it is a longer passage, okay? It will take me probably five to six minutes to read it, okay? So settle in and let's come on board. Uh, There's just gonna be so many opportunities for fishing and type of puns, I'm sorry, but I'll try to restrain myself as much as I possibly can, all right? Chapter 27. Words will be on the screen, you can follow along, all right? This is God's word. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship from, I've practiced this word so many times, Adramidium, close enough, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, the Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea, from there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. That's under the shelter or the refuge of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra of Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest to spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the, on the Cyatris, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. 
And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that he will be, it will be exactly as I have told him but we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come, as we were driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today's the 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from, your head, from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons on the ship, and when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a, a a bay with a beach on which they had planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and they left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck, remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or in pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Verse 1 to 28, and after they were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning and uh, just pray that uh, as we consider what you have to say to us from your word, Lord, that you would take this word and that you would write it on our very hearts. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who, um, even in the midst of a storm, is in total control. And just help that you, uh, we ask, Lord, that you would make us a people who can trust you. Lord, when everything around us doesn't make sense, when it's confusing and difficult, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who finds our hope and trust ultimately in you. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. 
Amen. Well, as I said before, you make no mistake about it, this is really an absolutely thrilling story. And ultimately, it is a story about the fulfillment of promises that were made by God, how God is faithful to his word. In Acts 1.8, if you remember sort of the banner over the, Acts, the book of Acts, um, there's this command, there's this promise that's given that God's people will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and throughout uh, the entire region. Throughout the book of Acts, as we've studied it, we've seen that, that, that God does precisely what God says. That as Paul goes, he goes again and again from one city and the disciples, as the, the message spreads, it spreads from one city to the next just to the point where we have here in our story him arriving in Italy. Along the way, the journey's filled with challenge after challenge, trial after trial, opposition, imprisonment, lies, deceit, false accusations. No matter the challenge, what we've seen as we've read the story is that nothing can stop the purpose of God. Nothing can stop it. There's no trial that's too big. There's no lie that's too significant. There's no storm that's too strong. At the end of the day, we've seen a God who's faithful to his word over and over again. Now here in Acts 27, you might say, why, is, what, why so much attention? Why so much attention to detail? Why such a long chapter on this story? And some of the stories that we've read in Acts have been very short, but we know that they're significant events. Why does uh, Luke include Chapter 27, with such great detail. Well, the first reason we know is because it's history. Luke is, after all, a historian. We see as we read the passage that Luke is apparently on the ship with him because oftentimes he says we. So Luke's right there. And this is a historian telling the story. Why is it in here? Because it's history. It actually happened. But it's not just history. In fact, it's more than history for us. This is, to be sure of it, the very word of God. And it serves for us in a real sense as more than just a story. It has in it a tremendous amount of spiritual significance that transcends even the details of the event. The story, just simply put, the beginning of it, they put out from Rome, from Caesarea, that's decided that they're gonna go to Rome. They set sail and they're accompanied on the boat. We learn by 276 individuals made up of soldiers, sailors, other prisoners, fellow Christians, at least Paul, Luke. And in verse nine, it says that since much time had passed, the voyage was now becoming dangerous because it was past the time of the fast when Paul advised them not to do it. And this is sort of the whole point of the story that, that this was not the best time for them to sail. This was not wise for them to set out on the sea. This was a season when it would have been, the weather was unpredictable, storms were commonplace, fierce conditions on the water. This wasn't, this kind of went against just normal wisdom. And as the journey progressed, they found themselves heading into the teeth of the storm. Tempestuous wind, a horrible wind. Storm battered the ship. There's little that they could do. They're trying again and again and again to save themselves, to, to minimize the damage, if you will. Many of them, we find out as the story goes on, reach a point of feeling totally hopeless, completely hopeless, 
crisis after crisis. There's a word that keeps popping up in the narrative. Great difficulty, great difficulty, difficulty, difficulty. Over and over and over again, this word summarizes their journey from Caesarea to Malta. Eventually, the ship runs aground in a sandbar. It's a crazy story, absolutely thrilling. But the most thrilling thing, the most thrilling aspect of the story is seeing how a sovereign God carries his servant for whom he has a purpose through the storm. That is the most important part of the message, of the story. Watching a sovereign God in the midst of chaos and uncertainty deliver his servant through it all. God carries Paul through and he delivers him safely to the appointed place. At the heart of this story about a terrifying storm, we find a God who's in total control. Total control of the players, the elements, and the promises that God made to his servant been fulfilled. So, Oftentimes, I like to come up with just a big idea that sort of hangs over the whole passage. I want to phrase it this morning in, in the way of a question to just ask you. The question I want to ask you as we look at this passage is you will see a significant parallel between the storm that Paul endures and storms that are commonplace in just a normal person's life. There's a direct parallel here. And the question, as we are a people who are regularly going through our own storms, they look different, but seasons in our life that are marked with difficulty. The question I want to pose to you, for you to consider, is how do you navigate those storms? How do you endure, how do you make it through times of significant difficulty. Now, in order to help us sort of see how God wants us to navigate times of difficulty, I want to approach the text a little differently this morning, one, because it's just so massive, is I want to simply look at two different perspectives, two individuals who are on the boat. And I want to consider the significance of the storm for them, how they got in the storm in the first place, and how they responded once they were there. So the first person that we're going to look at is that of the centurion. We're gonna look at the centurion, an individual who is, alongside of Paul, is right there, accompanied by 275 other individuals, on a boat, in a storm. It's important as we look at the centurion to remember that the whole reason they're in the situation is because the centurion refused to heed the warning of God. The reason why the centurion is in the storm in the first place is because he rejected the warning that came from God. If you go to verses 9 through 12, since much time had passed, the voyage had now, was, it was now dangerous because when the fast was already over, Paul advised them. He goes to the centurion. He goes to those who are commanding the ship. Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with journey, with injury, and with much loss, not only the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. And then verse 11, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. 
See, Paul saw the writing on the wall. He could tell what was gonna happen. Now, remember, this is an individual. First of all, the season was obvious, a time of year when storms were commonplace, but also consider Paul himself. We've just been reading the story of his journeys that now at this point have maybe a total of about 30, nearly 30 years of journeying. When people consider all the different places that he traveled by land and by sea, and you add up all that distance, people come up with a number of about 3,500 miles that during these Three, 30, three decades that he traveled, 3,500 miles specifically by sea. This was an individual who understood the dangers of traveling at sea, who understood what was at stake. Not just that, but in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, Paul himself says three times he was shipwrecked. Three times before this, a night and a day, he spent adrift at sea. This was an individual who, like I said last week, maybe he was a little too familiar with, with prison than most of our pastors you think you want your pastors to be. He was also oddly familiar with being shipwrecked. And here he is. He, he's giving them advice. He's telling them. He's a man who knows a bit about the difficulty and the dangers of sea travel in the Mediterranean. Yet the centurion suspended better judgment Rather than listening to Paul, the messenger of God, he listened to the pilot and the owner of the ship. Normally that would have been wise, but at this point, when their lives are at stake, it was God who was addressing them. He had sent a messenger to them, and the message he brought, this is a bad idea. What the centurion needed was not a better understanding of sailing, he didn't need more experience managing a ship. He didn't need more experience sort of determining the weather conditions, assessing is this safe or not. Ultimately, what the centurion needed was to get a hold of what God was saying. And Paul says as much in verses 21 and 22. He stands up and says, men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. See what Paul's saying? He's saying the reason you are in this situation in the first place is because you refused to listen to the word that was spoken to you from God himself. He's pointing out the greatest folly, the great folly of ignoring the messenger of God, hence the message that comes directly from God. Now here's the deal. There are a number of reasons why people find themselves in seasons of great difficulty. There are a number of reasons why maybe some of us even here today, we might be going through the teeth of a storm as we speak. And there could be a number of reasons why that happens. Certainly one of those reasons can be this is not necessarily, I don't know the storm, I don't know your situation, but for some of us, I know seasons in my life, storms I've walked through in my life, and this can be true of when I look back there. One reason some today find themselves in moments not unlike the centurion, in a storm of great trouble, needing wisdom, needing guidance, needing counsel, and then when the word of God is spoken, when the wisdom of the Lord is right in front of us, 
it's not followed. It's ignored. It's rejected. Rather than the wisdom of God, the centurion followed his own wisdom, his own instinct. He relied on his own ability. He trusted in himself to get through the storm. Like I said, some of us may find ourselves in similar situations. Maybe we're not on a boat out at sea with wind and waves crashing against our lives. Maybe we're facing relational storms, financial storms. Maybe we look at the the world and the culture around us and we say, storm, future storms. Like the centurion, our greatest need in the midst of those storms is to grab a hold to the wisdom, the guidance, the counsel that comes from God himself to listen to God's word. I'm afraid that far too often we follow the path of the centurion. We hear God's word, it's obvious, but our decision is to trust in our instinct or our ability or our education rather than the obvious word of God. The classic biblical example for this is Jonah. The word of God came to Jonah, message was clear, yet Jonah disobeys. God says go this way, Jonah goes that way. And before he knows it, he finds himself in the midst of a storm, eventually in the belly of a great fish. Things aren't going well. It's not because the word of God was hard to understand, but it was because the word of God, the counsel, the wisdom, the direction of God was blatantly rejected. Some of us will find ourselves in storms because we are pushing God's word aside. And these are just the natural consequences. For us, if that's you today, maybe as you consider your life and maybe there's obvious message from God, clear it from his word, and you have been rejecting it, the good news is, just like the word came back to Jonah, he repented and listened. That's what God calls for us to do as well, to repent, to turn back to God. I mean, just even the, the opportunity that we have this morning just to hear God's word is a, is a moment of grace that he extends to us, an opportunity for us to turn from our sins and to trust him. The centurion wanted nothing to do with God's word. That's how he navigated the storm, rejected it. Okay, so let's compare him to Paul. Paul, also on the boat, also in the storm. The reasons that they find themselves in the storm are different. It's important to notice that. The centurion found himself in the storm due to his own foolishness. Paul found himself in the storm because of the foolishness of someone else. They're both experiencing the same wind. They're both experiencing the same waves. One is due to their own foolishness and one they've been sort of dragged into it by somebody else. Paul's presence in the storm was because of the foolishness of the people around him. Now, obviously, he's a prisoner, okay? He didn't have a lot of control over the company that he kept. But some of us, maybe we find ourselves in the storm, just as a side note, because maybe of the people that we surround ourselves with, that we do have some control over. Now, as we consider Paul's presence in the storm, it's important to remember that the message of the New Testament is not that God prevents his people from experiencing great difficulty, but that God keeps his people in the midst of great difficulty. 
Over and over again, we read this word difficulty over and over again. And this is God's man. This is his servant who he has a specific purpose for. And he doesn't keep him sheltered from the storm. He's in the midst of it. The message of the storm of the New Testament isn't that he prevents us from it, but that he keeps us in the midst. It's important to keep that in mind. What was guaranteed for Paul was not that he would be immune to difficulty, but that his destiny ultimately was secured. We've seen it over and over again, trial after trial, beating after beating, accusation after accusation. Nothing, while he endures great pain and difficulty, nothing can stop him or get in the way of him accomplishing the purposes that God has for him. Now, they're all there, 276 people in total, in the same boat, experiencing the same storm. Yet we see dramatically different responses from Paul and from the others. The sailors and the soldiers, they respond in one way. Paul has a different response. Look at how the others respond. You see it in verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Throughout the narrative, you see the sailors and the other passengers on the ship responding in one way. Let's get out of here. Abandon ship. They're throwing everything overboard in desperation. We learn that all of them, they've all been without hope of being saved. They are praying just for day to come in the middle of the night. Apparently, they're not eating anything since the storm began. It's a picture of the others on the boat is a group of a people that are paralyzed ultimately by fear. The reality of the storm has caused them to be a people who are overwhelmed with fear. Meanwhile, Paul's response could not be more different. It's dramatically different, and it gives for us just a really good example. Look at what it says in verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Paul, the prisoner, starts giving orders. Don't get off the ship. Then in 33 and 36, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish on your head from any of you. And when he said these things, he took it, broke bread, gave thanks to God. In the presence of all, he broke it again and said, of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. He brings Paul, the man of God, he brings in the presence of a difficult, horrible storm, a sense of calm and leadership that not just is totally needed, but that others on the ship benefit from. In fact, the others, though foolish, they benefit from Paul's presence on the boat. Their lives are saved. Why? Because Paul is among them, guiding them, leading them. It's a dramatic difference, very different than how the centurion is responding. So the question we should be asking as we look at the text is why? Why is his response so different? Well, I think ultimately you see it hidden, not hidden, it's in plain sight, in verses 23 and 26. First reason, sort of two anchors that Paul drops into the sea that allow his life to be, we'll just say different. The first anchor is confidence in the word of God. 
You see it in 23 and 26. For this very night, Paul tells of this vision, there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Remember, this is the promise that he had long ago that Paul was going to go to Rome, that God was going to take him to Rome and he was gonna testify just as he did in, Ju in, Judea, in Jerusalem and all throughout Judea, he was also gonna testify in Rome. God's word is saying, this is where you're going. And behold, God has granted all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. God sent a message to Paul. He spoke to him and said, this is how it's going to be. For Paul, it was through an angel. For us, God still speaks. He speaks through his holy scriptures. How can we make it through storms in our life? We stand on the word of God. For Paul, he heard God's word and he believed it to be true. As the word came to him, unlike the centurion who rejected it, Paul held on to it. And he said, the only hope that I have that I'm gonna make it through this storm is that God told me I would. And he listened to the word of God. It's interesting that in the storm, we, we are Paul's attitude towards God's word is revealed. And I think that's really important for us to notice. I think the same could be true for us. Oftentimes, the way that we really think about God's word, oftentimes the way we can tell it's sort of exposed, oftentimes it's not when the winds are calm and the waves are, the sea is still. Oftentimes, it's when the, the winds blow and the waves are crashing against our life. Then you can tell how a person really views and thinks about God's word. I don't know what kind of storms you might be navigating or maybe will be navigating. What kind of winds will be blowing against your life? Opposition, sickness, pain, grief, loss, depression, relational strife, loss of a job. But I do know that one of the ways that God will see you through is by holding on to his eternal and true word not rejecting it when it comes to you, trusting in his promises. Now, one of the other anchors that Paul drops is not just the confidence in the word of God, but also we see that he's committed to the purpose of God. So he holds on to the word of God and he is committed to the purpose of God. In verse 23, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. Paul's commitment was to the one whom he belonged, the one whom he worshiped. His commitment was to God. He didn't belong to Caesar. He didn't belong to his captors. He didn't even belong to himself. Paul, he was not his own. He belonged to God. And this gave him hope in his life, that his life was ultimately in the hands of the almighty God, but it also gave him not just hope, it gave him purpose. It was God who was calling the shots, directing his steps. He was the captain of Paul's life. And Paul knew his assignment. He was to tell the gospel of Jesus wherever he went, all the way to Rome. 
The purpose was clear, and Paul was committed to that purpose. He didn't second guess it. The vision was clear. Now, now you might be sitting here thinking, as I was reading this text, the thought that jumped into my mind. Paul was so lucky. He was so fortunate because God gave him a very specific purpose. And oftentimes in my life, I'm like, God, make it clear. What do you want from me? What am I supposed to be doing? I don't know if you are similar or you can relate, but oftentimes I think to myself, will you just tell me what to do? And there are seasons in our life where we're trying to discern God's will and understand his purposes for us, right? And sometimes those are unique, like Paul's was unique. But here's another thing to keep in mind. There are so many purposes that God has made abundantly clear in our life. We don't need to wait for a word because he's given to it. He's spoken clearly. He, he wants us to love him with all of our heart. He wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to spread, like Paul is, the, the message of the good news. He wants us all to do that, to make disciples, to bring glory to God in all that we do, to follow in the footsteps and the example of Jesus. I mean, you go on and on and on. There are so many purposes that God has made abundantly clear. And he wants us as his people to be committed to those, to those purposes. There's so much that is certain. For Paul, the two things that helped him weather the storm, he had confidence in God's word and he was committed to the purposes of God. These are two anchors that hopefully you can tell are wildly related to each other. <laughs> word and purpose. We discover the purposes of God in our life as we dive into his word but here's the deal. If we're just totally honest with ourselves, which I hope on a Sunday morning, you are. I hope you always are. If you are just totally honest with yourself, the reality is we can't fully keep his word. I mean, just think about the last seven days. When you obviously went against it, maybe in a small thing or a big thing, I don't know, rejected God's word, the truth of the matter is, no matter how hard we try, we can't fully keep his word. Even as we throw down these two anchors, as necessary as they are to keep us stable and steady in the midst of life's storm, we need help. We need help. We need the help that comes from Jesus, the only one who fully kept his word, who lived his life without sin, full of purpose, fulfilling the purposes that God the Father called him to, being obedient even to the point of death, who then died on a cross for us in our ability to fully trust him. Jesus is the one who's able to. We need to put our hope and our trust in Jesus. You know, it's interesting because as I was reading this, I thought of some of the different storms in the Bible and how, you know, Compared this storm to the one we discover in Luke's first gospel, gospel of Luke in chapter eight. If you remember the story, Jesus, it's a familiar story. And his disciples, they get in a boat, they cross the lake, get to the other side. And as they're sailing across the lake, what does Jesus do? He falls asleep. Falls asleep in the storm. Well, in, in, in the boat. And while he's sleeping, a storm descends upon the waters on all of them. The boat begins to fill. The disciples see that they are in great danger. 
And Jesus is taking a nap. And what do they do? They go, they wake Jesus up. And as soon as Jesus wakes up, what does he do? He rebukes the wind. Immediately the storm stops, the waves cease, great calm comes on the water. The disciples were afraid and they they marveled, who is this? Even the winds and the water obey Jesus. Who is this man? It's a very different story than what we read today. Paul, while he is the messenger in this story, he doesn't, it's interesting, he doesn't attempt to quiet the storm. He, He displays no power over the winds and the waves like Jesus did. Rather, Paul is the recipient of God's grace in the midst of the storm. An agent of grace to others who find themselves in the same storm. Jesus ultimately is the deliverer. He is the hero. And as people that follow Jesus and trust in him, as we walk through life and go from one storm to the next, Ultimately, we are first and foremost people who are in desperate need of Jesus in every area of our life. And the great message that we've been seeing over and over again in the book of Acts is that Jesus is right there with Paul, emboldening him, giving him the ability to trust in him, reminding of his presence with him and the power that he has worked through him. Jesus is in the storm with Paul. And what should bring us as God's people great comfort this morning is no matter what storm we are going through right now, if you are in Christ, Christ is in that storm with you. You are not alone. You belong to God. And he has a purpose for you that nothing can stop. Now, finally, I mentioned, you know, just going to Belize and some of the the boat rides that we take when we're down there. I remember one of the first ones that we went on, and I think I've told this before, but it was shortly after. I was talking with my wife earlier this morning. I couldn't remember which kid was born at this point, but it was shortly after we had a child, okay, one of them. And we traveled down there, and, and her family wanted to treat us on a couple of nights on a, on a key, so they had like some lodging and some things reserved and picked out, and so as we go down there, some delays happen, whatever. I don't remember logistically what set off the trip, but all I remember is that we traveled all day, and then we were getting into the boat. It was like dark. It was dark. It was like maybe eight o'clock at night. It was late, and it was dark, and it was like kind of stormy, windy, rainy weather. It was, in my mind, not a good idea <laughs> to do what we were doing. Um, and, and I was nervous. I think I th- Natalie, I think she said it was Liana that was just born. So maybe she was just a month or so old. So we're going probably 10-ish miles outside of the coast. And it's a, it's a, it's a small boat, all right? And uh, her dad is the captain of the ship. He's a man who I tremendously respect. He's a sort of a man's man and is a guy who's always, he's strong and he's smart and he, he's, he's in his element. He's a fisherman, he lives on the sea. I remember getting into that boat and I was thinking to myself while I'm holding this little girl, thinking to myself, this is not a good idea. And as I look over, I see him and I can tell that he's focused. And he takes his seat at the back of the boat where he grabs the, what do you call it, the rudder? I don't know, the thing that steers the boat and makes it work. He grabs it. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, the only confidence I have right now that this is gonna work out well is because that man is sitting in that seat and I fully trust him. 
Uh, the waves, we got out there and it was terrifying. We were just talking about it today. I was like, it wasn't a good idea. I mean, it, was, it was scary. We ended up on the, we got there the key like an hour later, soaking wet and miserable, all right? It wasn't a good idea. The whole time we were going across the water and the waves were crashing and the wind was blowing and the rain was raining, just kept looking at him thinking to myself, the only confidence I have on this journey is that he's in the captain's seat. Brothers and sisters, the same is true for us. I don't know what storm you might be facing, but if Jesus is sitting where he ought to be sitting, steering and in control, you might get wet, might be painful, might be exhausted, but you will not be alone. And his purposes for you will not be stopped. No matter how hard the storm is, let's be the type of people that rally around Jesus, let him call the shots, and just take him at his word. What do you say? And then who knows what can happen? Who knows? Let's pray. Father God, we uh, just thank you so much for um, just this story Lord, and we recognize this morning that it is, it's more than just a story for us, but it's a, Lord, it's a picture of what our life ultimately can look like with you in the captain's seat. So I do pray that you would help us to trust you, to depend on you, Lord, and to follow you as you supply for our every need. Thank you that you're a God who gives himself freely to us. Pray that we'd be a people who receive you just as you are. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.